Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this From the Field episode, Editor-in-Chief Teresa Moulton interviews Dana Houston-Jackson, Lead Principal Change Advisor at 1898 & Company, on the topic of change fatigue. Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast. My name is Teresa Moulton. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Change Management Review, and I am very excited today to uh, have a nice conversation with my colleague, Dana Houston-Jackson of 1898 and Company, and we're going to be talking about change weariness, lessons for lessening change fatigue in 2021. Let me share a little bit about Dana with you. So Dana Houston-Jackson is the Lead Principal Change Advisor at 1898 and Company, the consulting and technology arm of Burns and McDonnell. She specializes in simplifying the complex and improving adoption and usage in order to achieve full business value. A straight shooter, new thought thinker, rebel leader with a box poking career spanning 25 plus years in org development, project and people change management amongst multiple industries, including energy, utilities, government, technology, construction, nonprofit, manufacturing, and academia. So I would just like to uh, let you know, this is one experienced woman. And um, if there's been a project out there that has been complex and ugly, she's been on it. And <laughs> I, feel, <laughs> I feel really, really happy to have her here uh, talking about a topic that is so apropos for these times. So welcome, Dana. Thank you, Teresa. I love your intros. <laughs> I learn something <laughs> new about myself each time. Appreciate it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's the, that's the thing is that, um, you know, uh, people really people really show up on these podcasts so authentically yes. um, that I'm, I'm always so happy to have, you know, exciting, experienced guests. <laughs> Thank you. And I love listening to them. I love that they're on demand. You know, you can hear them anytime. You don't have to catch them, you know, when they're playing at a certain time. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, and and uh, we'll be putting these, these are now going through social media as well. Oh, great. Yeah. So let's talk about change weariness. Let's do. Okay, so, you know, you bring up an, an interesting um, topic here around transformation, and you talk about transformation being a no-no word in 2021. Can you tell me why? Oh, yeah. Well, people are weary, to put it simply. They're tired, mm. right? Mm-hmm. They've already transformed enough throughout 2020, and they're out of bandwidth to do much more transforming. Transition, mm-hmm. maybe. Transforming, not necessarily. Plus, plus the word itself, transformation. What does that word really mean? Mm. You know, it's like if I said birthday cake, every single person's <laughs> going to get a different image of a birthday cake. So there's no consistency. I really like Melanie Franklin's idea in her change management and agile text. Uh-huh. She really talks about defining destinations. And once you mm. reach that destination, then you use all the lessons learned and the new changes from outside and inside the organization to pivot and define the next destination. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't really have to have strategic goals and visions. Of course, you have to have those, right? Those start that path. But it's the destinations that align to that. And people can, you can take each of those changes that impact and, and redefine your next step. I, mm-hmm. I think we've got to stop thinking about doing all of our planning up front. 
right? That's not going to work. Uh, instead, biting off more incremental size work and then pivoting. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, transformation has been an interesting word over the past, you know, 30 years in, in change management and re-engineering and all the different uh, phases of and fads of management consulting and business change. And, um, you know, it, it does connote really a full large scale change and kind of a big bang, um, you know, approach where that definitely is not something that totally fits into uh, this world right now. No, it doesn't. I think more it's the portfolio that fits into this world right now. I mean, as change managers, instead of helping our clients with just the individual change project programs, mm -hmm. right? Just this, we'll just do the change on this project and then this project. We want to help them build a capability that treats all the changes that they're mm -hmm. going through as part of their continuum, where, where they move incrementally, right? To achieve what they need to achieve at a pace their folks can handle in that time and at that place. Yeah, I think you've I think you've nailed it there. You know, they need to meet the client where they are, and they're totally in a different place in today's world. Um, and and the way that you can do projects is different in today's world too. So, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned um, when we were talking beforehand, Dana, you mentioned change saturation and how it's broken down, the indicators, and more importantly, what we can do about it. Can you share a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. Well, change saturation occurs when there's so much change going on that it mm -hmm. negatively impacts individuals and groups and, and companies, right? Mm -hmm. It typically occurs because no one is really keeping or using that full portfolio view across the organization of all the changes underway. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean just those projects that you have change managers on. I mean, every project that's actually creating change and how people do their jobs throughout the organization, mm -hmm. every digital technology, process improvement project, all of it. Because, you know, we tend to focus on our own challenges and issues. Mm -hmm. And we don't always see how our changes collide with the other changes in the organization, especially if we're all reside at different levels in the organization and we're not at the top, right? Right. I had a client once where um, we were putting in, you know, an HRIS system and a few roles in HR had another, uh, say maybe like five different um, enterprise-wide changes coming at them from different projects. And by the time each each major project changed the roles 10%, they were like in a different job. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's perfect example. That's yeah. exactly right. But, but in general too, the saturation, like once we even identify it, it really breaks down into two variables. It's mm. change capacity and mm -hmm. change disruption. And both of those have been dramatically changed uh, or impacted this last year, year and a half. Um, but there, there are some things we can do to increase capacity mm. and some things, but not all that we can control to reduce disruption. But when you're very tired, your mm -hmm. capacity for change goes down, right? right? And when you get hit with sudden news, your disruption goes up. Right. So I think our job as change advisors is not only to help with 
maybe the development and the guardian of the organization's change approach, but we've got to create this capacity and capability for changes at every level of the organization. And I'm being pretty deliberate with the word choice there, right? right? It's really a balance between changing the organization and business as usual within the organization. I've got one client right now who is currently so saturated to the point that work doesn't often happen outside of virtual meetings. And yet calendars are already fully booked with people in back-to-back virtual meetings. How is any new project that produces change in the operation going to actually get done in that scenario? Especially if, you know, 50% of the meetings are project-based recurring meetings. Right. Exactly right. You can't even sneak in the calendar. Yeah, where do you sneak in? Right. You know, you start using up their lunches. You start asking them to come in 30 minutes early. You know all those reactions and what that's going to do. Right. And, you know, I had um, a question for you about the change saturation. Um, It it also comes down to the reprioritization, right, of of this Mm -hmm. portfolio and who controls that? Is that the PMO? Is it a steering committee? Is it, you know, where is it in the organization and how do the change practitioners get to provide the information on change saturation so that it's part of those decisions? You know, that's an excellent question. And I can say that the one, the couple of common denominators that are throughout text and experience, right? And got the Mm -hmm. scar tissue to show it says that the higher up the org chart with the larger view, you put a portfolio view, Mm -hmm. then at least you can get an enterprise wide view. It doesn't mean that down at some very large division of operations that they don't also need their portfolio. Right. Right. But you're going to have to have if if I just keep a portfolio at the division view of all of those projects, I am missing out on other impacts that are happening in other divisions that are going to impact me, whether I'm aware of them or not. Right. There has to be alignment between that. There are different tools. There's different software tools out there. Um, My recommendations depend on that culture and that um, maturity level and Mm -hmm. where they're at on it. So I'm not going to just sit here and rattle off a bunch of them because there's different very specific specific recommendations, but there are definitely some portfolio tools. The biggest thing to start with is, uh, you know, I don't even care. Once I took a piece of paper, I listed all of the different uh, individuals or groups that were going to be impacted and took a highlighters. And once the execs just showed that seven different changes were going to impact the same group at that same month, that same Mm -hmm. time, oh, okay, well, then we could have a conversation. So, uh, you know, at this point, even having something like that is better than not having anything at all. Right. Yeah. If you can get the executives to pay attention to that, that's uh, I think that's really important um, because often it seems overwhelming. So overwhelming as a topic and um, people who haven't seen the change management saturation tools and the portfolio uh, management saturation tools just find it intangible. Yeah. You know, they they truly do. And they're overwhelmed too. You know, I don't know any executive that once I've really worked with them on the portfolio and given them the appropriate visual of what's going on, didn't immediately like, okay, we got to fix this. I can't let my people experience this. Mm, Great points. So I heard you had some lessons we can take from the Agile playbook and bring into our everyday thought process. What sorts of lessons did you have in mind? Well, first is breaking the work into increments. And second is got to get over the idea that all your planning and budgeting is going to be done at the start of a project. Right. I mean, not only can, can you not do that, but w- what 
will we accomplish with the change? Because there's so many outside and inside forces at play. The change mm-hmm. is going to be redefined. Your mm-hmm. resources are going to change. Things are going to change, right? So you you got to get over that piece of it. Uh, the planning and alignment needs to be reviewed before you start each increment of work. A- mm-hmm. And each increment can have a predetermined number of sprints or work streams. It depends on what language you're using, right? But mm-hmm. each increment with that you're rolling out those change pieces that are completed. So the business gets some value ASAP, Mm -hmm. right? And you're not dumping all the change all at once on your people. So there's that concept. But another lesson really is to cut down the work in progress when Mm -hmm. you're designing your increments work, right? You want to focus on more done, less started (laughs) at this point in time, right? Right. I'm a huge fan right now, especially right now of Moscow. Uh, That's an acronym. And that Moscow exercise, it's for those that are unfamiliar with it, it comes from the agile material. It's all about identifying what must be done, what Mm -hmm. should be done, what could be done and what won't be done. Thus Mm -hmm. Moscow, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's that last one won't what won't be done, I think we need to focus on right now with those exec sponsors. It's often overlooked by execs, mm-hmm. right? Because they each want their initiative done no matter what, right? Right. We need, but we need to advise and coach them differently <laughs> accordingly right. based off of what's happening. And of course, Pareto principle never goes out of out of vogue. Right. You know, the 80-20 rule, focus on that 20% of the work that's going to give you 80% of the results. Right. Because if, if you don't, um, you're not going to get more than 60 or 70 percent of the change is complete anyway right yeah that's so that makes a lot of sense so what is this kintsugi and how would we apply this (laughs) philosophy in change i don't Uh, know if i said it right yeah kintsugi that's great no it's it's an ancient japanese art form and a philosophy Mm. Uh, roughly translated uh kintsugi means golden seams or golden repair it's the art of broken pieces. Oh. Um, yeah, we all have our experiences in life that we feel are flawed. You know, they're mm-hmm. broken and we often hide them. But perhaps if we put them together, we can actually create something better and rather unique. And that isn't usually how we experience our mistakes mm-hmm. that we make at work or in life, right? Mm-hmm. When we face failure or difficult circumstances, we try to put them aside. We try to forget about them rather than elevate them. So Mm -hmm. recommendations in this philosophy is to see the beauty in what is broken and to take pause and sit with the mistakes a bit and to find value in our vulnerability. And Mm -hmm. and like with any applied philosophy, I really do try to practice it on my own before I integrate it into our 1898 continuous improvement and that change management service. And of course, practicing what I preach takes continuous and Mm -hmm. intentional effort, right? Mm -hmm. But using this as an impetus and our own change management discipline, I did personally a kind of whole body, mind, soul reboot over a six-week sabbatical over the holidays. And that really allowed me to do a deeper dive into this material. And uh, I'm hoping to share even more with you on that in our next webinar in April or June, whenever your next thing is uh, planned to come up. Yeah. um, At this point, I think it might be May. Oh, okay, good. And um, the interesting part about this philosophy is, you know, how it ties into change weariness and then how that ties into building resilience. Exactly right. You know, um, Linda Linda Hoops has a book out called Prosilience. And she, she has really, for the past 20, 25 years, 
um, broken down all the components of, of resilience and, and measured them over 80,000 people. And um, it comes down to having a philosophy like that so that you actually have more um, ability to bounce back. Yes, I love Linda's work. Yeah, it's amazing yeah. work. Um, she's going to be writing more for the change management review this year. Oh, perfect. Good. Yeah. So looking at the basic uh, root cause behind upsets with any change, um, you had two things we could adjust to help reduce the pain from change. What are those? Okay. Well, burnout is real. Mm. I mean, it is happening. Uh, 2020 affected me personally on many levels. I mean, that's why I took the sabbatical. Mm. But one thing I discovered in all of my research and, and uh uh, program here. And, and I offer this here in a real simplistic format, but it's the speed and the force of changes that are the mm -hmm. enemy right now. Um, either giving someone something or depriving someone of something very slowly, mm -hmm. it creates a different reaction than doing the same thing at a very high speed or force. Uh, for example, you can get a wild horse to accept a rider if it's being done very slowly. But right. fast and that horse won't accept the change. Right. Right. COVID happened very fast for all of us. Working from home virtually as our permanent setup happened very fast. Mm -hmm. So the speed and force created the upset. And what if instead of the overnight COVID change urgency, we all announced that we were all going to move towards a work from home model and we wanted everyone to vote on what and how they wanted it implemented. And we would be implementing it for everyone over a three to month period instead of overnight. Totally different reactions, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the speed matters. And especially when folks are saturated and fed up because we're, we're chained to upsets in the past about change. Right. We right. may have never understood or acknowledged why we felt so upset about changes, but speed and force have played a big part and those upsets accumulate. Yeah. And I mean, even despite COVID, you know, the speed of technology change and um, even the demographic type of change that we have in the organizations um, and what those what those folks are looking for and in a work experience, you know, there's just changes from every aspect of of life and work. And exactly. it's just overwhelming. One recommendation I get when people are trying to wrap their wits around portfolio period is pretend your life because it is your life is a portfolio of change. <laughs> right. All aspects of it. Now imagine how much change is happening on each one of those work streams of your life. Right. right? OK, so now organizations, just one of your work streams. But you get that idea, right? So when it comes mm -hmm. to it's one of my favorite things to do really in 1898 is to really get the visualization, accu accumulate the data, and then work through a streamlined portfolio so that we, we can get out of the saturated, saturation mode. Right. And I think that just speaks to your experience in, you know, everything from program management through the uh, complexity of the different types of clients that you work with, because you work right in with the process and right in with the system. And so I think you're able to, you know, come at that, you know, at that challenge from a, a deeper perspective um, than say maybe a typical change practitioner. Yeah, really, it does help. I have noticed that. I mean, we, we've we heard this thing about, you know, change management's change management. You could do it in any industry. And that's true, just like project management's project management. However, mm -hmm. if you've gotten already some scar tissues and bumps and bruises, and you add them all up, and no matter what industry you've worked in, then you already know what things to avoid. Right. <laughs> it helps. 
Right. And there is a trend now uh, towards having industry experience um, be one of the differentiators in, in change management resourcing. I agree. Um, and it's just the way that work has shifted over time and, you know, the demand for, you know, some specialty knowledge um, in addition to the change management approaches. Yeah, that makes sense. That's certainly how I've set up 1898. You know, we've got over now 30 certified change practitioners that I've worked in in 12 different general practices. That's what Burns McDonald's kind of broken down. So if you can think of an industry, we probably have of some kind of vertical line that produces something in there. And so I have noticed that it's easier to get them up to speed, frankly. It's easier to work with them. Yeah, yeah. And you, I didn't realize you had so many people there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do in the change management practice because we integrate with Burns McDonald being, you know, 122 years old plus um, and having so many different verticals from federal oil and gas, utilities, government, aviation, mm -hmm. you just, you know, water, you just keep going through it. That gives you a lot of projects that do require uh, for our clients to make changes. And so right. by having a change manager attached to the technical delivery, it makes it so much easier for the client to kind of just buy one package and implement it. Right. That's great. And so, you know, one thing we were um, talking about ahead of, in prepping for this is uh, from one thinker to a new thought, one thinker to a new thought to another, you know, how do we help our people and groups up above that mindset line that gives us the success we are looking for right now? Yeah, well, in the late 1800s, there was something called new thought movement. And that new thought movement was holding to the affirmative thought and adoption of favorable mental attitudes, those benefit changes in man. Right? Mm. There's a number of self-help books and religions and philosophies all around these ideas, even positive psychology and behavior economics. Those are all modern offshoots of these principles. Mm. So old thought would be the opposite of positive, you know, sin, evil, pessimistic resignation. And as leaders, we are thinkers of new thought. Mm -hmm. and we have to work to push people above the line that gives them and us those small successes and appreciations and triumphs that we all desire. So positive experiences. And it is positive experiences, positive emotions and positive interactions that are going to build back in the safety and the energy towards our efforts and help create kind of a willingness and a courage to look and try again. It's what you need to bring them up and out of their weariness, right? We mm -hmm. have to be unique about it. And the more unique, the better. Uh, Blue Ocean Strategy Techniques, by the way, has some great unique ideas. I'm going to go over one of them in our, in our webinar here. Mm. Um, but uh, positive experiences is what we need to be looking and seeking at this point. Mm -hmm. And it also speaks to, you know, um, the way that the consultants need to show up with the client, you know, from a um, Daryl Connor says from a positively neutral uh, perspective and, you know, being able to remain in a, in a stance, say with a, in a presence with a client from a positive perspective, but the balance to stay neutral and open to what they're saying, I think really says a lot too, um, in terms of, in terms of how we need to work with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Great example. 
So what do we need to know about managing our 2021 portfolio of change work, Dana? All right. Well, I mentioned a few things and mm -hmm. I, I know our webinar is going to go a little deeper here. But one thing right now is we need to clearly identify what isn't or hasn't mm -hmm. changed when we talk about or announce our upcoming changes. I mean, the media can saturate folks and all that has and is and keeps mm -hmm. changing right? Mm -hmm. well, one useful exercise to do yourself is to take a few minutes and just look around and really take stock of what hasn't changed for yourself in your own personal portfolio of life, right? Mm -hmm. Your own body, your house, your car. Do you still have a job? Does mm -hmm. your hair still need to be cut, right? You got coffee, <laughs> you eating breakfast. And then <laughs> after that, right, keep in mind after you've got that and you realize what hasn't changed, it, it's the speed and force of changes that are our enemies right now. And when I say that empathy is not sympathy, that's not the right. same thing. Sympathy tends to make us want to leave it out or leave them alone or leave it alone, right? Having empathy with another person, it doesn't mean you stop asking them for valid and necessary business changes, but <laughs> perhaps you and your team can do the work to slow down the implementation speed and or lessen the force, maybe perhaps using levity or an admiration and hope and giving them courage, right? Lessen mm -hmm. the force of the change. For example, recently we were all encouraged to go back to the office, right? Even if mm -hmm. it was just for one day a week. So after my sabbatical, I went into the office, right? I was trying to get back into a rhythm. I went in for a day and it wasn't mandatory, but I was excited to reconnect but there were only a handful of people on the entire floor the day wow. that I went in. So there's not a lot of reconnection there. Right. And, and in my job, I speak a lot <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm not always quiet. Right. Right. So, uh, my voice echoed off the windows oh, in the I empty bet. floor, right. Which could be heard for many rows. And it was, I felt like I got to the point where I felt like I was just annoying those that were around <laughs> me, right? I became so self-conscious about my conversations. Right? They wanted to go home. <laughs> right, I, I did. After five hours, I packed it up. I said, forget it, right? Because this was such a reminder of how far our office life just drifted from normal, right? right. In fact, it felt more normal working from home now than it was working in the office, right? I and know. I was really disturbed with uh, this whole thing until I really realized I had a preconceived idea from my past experiences in the office and had some expectations when I went in for that day. And mm. when it was very different, I felt uneasy and unhappy. And the same thing may happen to others when you attempt to move them back into the office or back onto a tool or back into a circumstance. You know, these changes these last 12 months may have been more jarring and dramatic, but yes. the proper perspective of what is not changing that's going to allow folks to navigate and kind of reset their expectations a bit better. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, as change um, professionals, I think that that perspective isn't as emphasized, at, you know, in the case for change as, you know, what, um, what, what's the consequence of change? What are the benefits of the change? You know, I think uh, people often leave out what isn't changing. Yes. I agree with you. And I think we need to stress that right now. That will that will assist across the boards here in what we're trying to do. It will definitely reduce your change weariness. <laughs> That's great. Well, Dana, this has been um, really a nice time uh, talking about, you know, lessons for lessening change fatigue in 2021. And, you know, you've brought a, a lot of different perspectives on it to bear. So I appreciate your uh, 
agreeing to do this podcast with us. And I'm wondering, um, how would people get in touch with you if they wanted to, you know, take the conversation further? Oh, that's fantastic. Probably the easiest way, um, Teresa, just reach out on LinkedIn, Dana Houston oh, yeah. Jackson. Um, and then I'm happy to add that to the connection and I can provide my uh, email or cell phone number as somebody wishes to have a discussion. In fact, it w- recently there was a gal who who listened to my last podcast that you supported last year, and it was such a help for her for a new project up in Canada that she reached out and, and mm. struck up a whole conversation. So um, it really does help, not just with the share of ideas and the mentoring, but introducing us to new folks that we can really benefit from each other. Yes, I think so too. So any last words of wisdom that you'd like to share? Oh boy, the, the, that was a bunch. I hope you can assimilate <laughs> that. <laughs> right. I can't tell you one thing that I have found and I'm trying to practice it uh, with e- each person that I speak with and within myself because it helps to raise above to that mm-hmm. new level. And that is realizing just how courageous people mm. are right now across the boards to do what they're doing and and, and visualize that and communicate that to people to find something you really admire about them and to acknowledge their courageousness and mm-hmm. to give them hope. Those three things, yeah. as fundamental as they are, brings anyone you're talking to up above the level where we can now creatively get into the mindset of now making some change. We have to work to that point because they are saturated. They are weary, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that that's an important point because often it's easy to go and focus on the work thinking, you know, that, you know, the person you're working with just wants to get it done, get it done, get it done. And reality is they may not even have the capacity for that yet. That's right. Mental, either mentally or even on their schedule. Right. Right. (laughs) They're not ready to receive more change. And I I think too, you know, as you talk about this, it it reminds me of um, what's important about being a change uh, professional is that we're actually a helping profession. Mm -hmm. And so part of that really is paying attention to that individual uh, change ability and, you know, capacity um, that somebody has, and it's not always going to be intellectual. No, not at all. And, And it's very easy to lose sight that we are projects, so to speak, are people. Right? Yes. And we, we think of it all in when we're doing and executing projects on uh, internally or on client sites, et cetera, we get into the mechanics of the project itself. Right. Well, wait a minute. Is the individual ready for right. it? Right. To move That's it through. Right. right? It's, it's, it's easy. It's, it takes a constant intentional reminder that this is what we're doing and why we're doing it. I agree. I agree. Well, thank you so much for your time and wisdom. And hopefully we will have you again. Great. I love, I would love to uh, participate in your, your uh, podcast and your conferences, Teresa, are always very valuable. And thank you for asking me to. Oh, to speak. my pleasure. Okay. Take care, Dana. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.